Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat. I thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to be able to gather in your presence and to worship before you. I thank you, Lord, that in spite of everything going on around us that uh, has closed down almost everything that we are accustomed to and used to in the world around us, that you have still provided a means for us to gather in holy convocation, uh, even if only virtually, Uh, that you provided a means for us to gather in holy convocation before you. Father, I pray that as we are worshiping you in unity today, that you will speak boldly to our hearts and our minds, that you will use me as a vessel for your good and your purposes, the glory of your kingdom, that nothing of me will be involved this morning in this message except that which you have ordained for your purposes. It will be your voice heard, your words received, and that you will speak directly into our hearts and our lives today. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. Um, as I begin to, to, to go through the message this morning, I just want to encourage everyone watching uh, at home, everyone taking part uh, in this, this uh, service today. Uh, I, I, I want to take a moment, I want to encourage you, go and open up your scriptures. Like I said earlier today, we're in Parsha Vayachel Day, which is a double Parshot. Uh, we're reading two parshot together, actually the final two uh, parshot of uh, Shemot, of Exodus. And so I want to encourage you, go and open up your scriptures to Exodus 35.1. This is the very beginning of Parsha Vayichel, the very beginning of this double parshot that we are reading uh, this morning. Uh, as you open up there, I want to, to kind of relay a little something that's been on my heart uh, this past few days in contemplating what's going on. And, and this will feed directly into what I believe the Lord has put on my heart as a message for our community today. Uh, so I just wanted to, to talk to you briefly about a few things that have, have been kind of sitting on my heart uh, for the last several days. Um, you know, I was thinking about how uh, literally everything in the world has come to a complete halt. Um, and in my lifetime, in my, my time frame, I mean, I'm only 37 years old, so I'm not like, it's not like I have a lot of, of lifespan to look back over, but in my life, I can't remember a time where things came to a complete halt like this ever in my experience. 9-11 was probably the closest thing I can remember to this, but even then, not everything came to a halt, uh, but everything has come to almost a literal and complete halt uh, in the world around us, and this is just crazy. I mean, things are in, it's a whole different level of unreal that we're living in right now, but as things are coming to a halt, it started to make me kind of ponder a few things. And in particular, you know, we look at the Babylonian captivity of, of the nation of Israel. And one of the things we realized with the Babylonian captivity was that the Lord says that he was sending the nation of Israel in captivity in Babylon for a very specific reason, right? The prophecy says he was going to let it happen for, they were going to be in captivity for 70 years, and that it was a, a response to the fact that we as the people of Israel failed to allow the land that God has given us, fell to allow the promised land to experience its uh, Shemitah, its sabbatical cycle, its seven-year uh, cycle of rest, where every seventh year the land would take a rest. And he said that in spite of the fact that we refused to allow the land to have its rest as it was supposed to, 
that the land was going to get its rest and he was going to make that happen. And part of how he was going to do that was to actually extract the nation of Israel from the land of Israel, put us in captivity in Babylon, and then after 70 years bring us back again and that the land would have its, its uh, uh, rest instead. And so I started to think about the fact that the world around us today um, and, and the body of Messiah, it's no different. We're, we're very much guilty of this as well. The world around us today, we're just busy, right? We're go, 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 go all the time. As a matter of fact, any of you who have ever talked to me during the week, who have ever tried to have a meeting with me, understand and, and recognize I don't stay still very long. Uh, if you're watching this message, you notice I literally don't stay still very long. But uh, people comment all the time that Danielle and I, and we're, we're always on the go. We're running to this meeting or that meeting or homeschool co-op or, or I'm teaching in different churches or I'm doing this or that. I'm working. I'm all over the place. And, and the body of Messiah is, is no different from this and the world around us is very much the same. We are always on the go. And we live in what we're calling this information age where on top of us being busy all the time, there's literally a bombardment of information coming at us at all times, right? Uh, you know, a, uh, a simple uh, a incident occurs or what should be a simple incident occurs in uh, Miami and within seconds the entire nation is aware of it even though we have no actual details of what that incident was. We're all made aware of all the possible scenarios that it might could have been and then we all await for the actual facts to start to trickle in little by little by little. Uh, we're always on the run. We're always moving. We're always going. We rarely ever take the time to stop and to truly rest. Now all of a sudden, the entire world comes to a complete and total halt. Everything around us is stopping. Most people uh, are not able to work. If they are able to work, they're working from home. They're not out and about. We're, we're not going to the stores like we, we, we're used to. We can't go into restaurants and eat and sit there and eat and, and spend time relaxing while we're eating in a restaurant. We have to, on the fly, pick it up to go and take it back to our house, which, by the way, is not a terrible thing. Um, and, and I strongly encourage you to take this time to still support these local businesses uh, because they're the ones that are going to hurt the most. Still support them. Take that, that to-go order home and, and, and eat it at home. But uh, everything has come to a complete halt. And not just the world around us, but we're talking the body of Messiah too, right? We're sitting here today experiencing this live stream service. We're doing Shabbat virtually. The reality, whoever thought that we would communicate about services in that kind of a way? Whoever, I mean, we have these, you know, 3D interactive virtual reality goggles that people are playing video games on now. But whoever thought that we might have a day thrust upon us where we might have churches and synagogues uh, having services in that kind of a manner. Churches and, and synagogues and uh, both Messianic Jewish synagogues, traditional synagogues and so on, all throughout the U.S. are being uh, forced, and this is depending on where you're at, a literal forcing and also a voluntary thing. In our case, it's voluntary, but nonetheless, we are being forced to rest, to allow the, the, the quote-unquote spiritual land of our hearts, if you would, to rest, right? The, the land of Israel had to rest to make up for the sabbatical years we didn't allow it to rest, and in its time resting, uh, the, 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 the nation of, of Israel was restored in terms of its fertility of the land and so on. And we personally are experiencing this kind of spiritual rest right now. The spiritual land is having to come to a halt uh, and, and take time to rest. Uh, also on top of that, we're seeing, and if you look at the weather for, for Israel, you know, most weather apps will pull Jerusalem up in a heartbeat. If you look at the weather for Israel, uh, they're experiencing what, we're called, what we call the, the latter rains. You know, the rainy season for Israel has already ended, but yet it's still raining. The Kenneret, the, the Galilee, is exceeding its shorelines. It's, it's beginning to crest its shorelines. The Dead Sea is beginning to see water uh, 
uh, added back into it where it has for decades been slowly diminishing. It is now uh, rising again. Um, we're watching as the latter rains in a quite literal sense uh, are pouring out upon Israel. Um, and, uh, and, and as we're seeing this, perhaps uh, I want to, to pose to you, perhaps we're being forced into the spiritual rest, if you would, being thrust into this new reality because of this virus as a preparation for the latter-day outpouring of the Holy Spirit that are about to be poured out on the body of Messiah. We have an opportunity during this period of time to recalibrate our walk, to recalibrate our faith, to recalibrate the reality that the body of Messiah is not equal to the building in which we meet in. The building itself doesn't even define our worship and how we worship together. We established live stream as a congregation a little over a year ago with no anticipation of this day ever coming at all. It was never in our minds a year ago when we set up live stream. As a matter of fact, two, three years ago when we started talking about and researching how to make live stream a reality for our congregation, we never thought that this would be a potential, a possibility, an option. And yet here we find ourselves. Through this rest and recalibration, could God have an ulterior motive? Could he be trying to prepare us for the outpouring of the latter-day rains? Could we be looking at or should we be looking at this time of involuntary rest, if we would, as an opportunity that the Lord has given us to experience in our spiritual land, in our hearts, in our bodies, to be able to rest and experience His power and His presence in a new way, preparing our hearts and our lives for the latter rains that are about to come spiritually and for the great harvest that awaits us when that happens. So as we move into discussing the Parsha today, I wanted to, to say that as a kind of a setup for this. And I believe that it's funny how these Parshot seem to always fit timing-wise with everything going on around us in the world. It's, it's, it's interesting watching the providential hand of God in something as seemingly simple as the definition of the Torah cycle and the, the collaboration that was, was brought together in order to establish the Torah cycle, which was begun about 500 years before Yeshua walked on earth. And we're still reading through this Torah cycle in the same manner today. So Exodus 35, beginning with verse 1, says, uh, Then Moses assembled all the congregation of Israel and said to them, These are the words which Adonai has commanded you to do. Work is to be done for six days, but the seventh day is a holy day for you, a Shabbat of complete rest to Adonai. Whoever does any work then will die. Do not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on Yom Shabbat, on the day of Shabbat. I want you to keep in mind the time frame in Israel's history and experience that these words are being spoken and that this Parsha, uh, the events of this Parsha are playing out. Israel had just dealt with the golden calf and the sin of worshiping the golden calf, the sin of this idolatrous way in which we responded to Moses being on the mountain a little too long for our comfort. We built this golden calf and began to worship it in spite of the recognition of everything God had just done for the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. We still built this golden calf and began to worship it in a very horrendous way and began to proclaim the golden calf as the God who led us out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. We began to turn our back on God in a very literal and painful sense. And yet here, post all of that, we see that God is rekindling His calling upon Israel. We see that he is rekindling the reality of what he wants to do in, his, in our midst. And as we look at the beginning of this parashot, these first three verses of chapter 35 in Exodus, what we recognize is that the Lord immediately after the golden calf and the, the forgiving of that and, and everything that goes along, immediately afterwards, the first thing he reminds us of 
is the necessity to rest. And you got to understand, in the modern world, we don't have a temple standing today. So when we observe Shabbat, we can't exactly go to the temple and perform sacrifices of things that would have been done during the the first century and before when the, the, the first and second temples were standing. We can't do those things anymore. But there are two specific things about the Shabbat we can still keep. There are a lot of things we can still try to implement in our lives as best as is possible. But there are two specific things that we can still implement and still live out in our lives in regards to the Shabbat. First and foremost is we are called to rest in the presence of the Lord. This isn't just the day that we take off from work and we kick back in the, the recliner in the living room with the TV on and, and just ignore everything in the world around us. And, and that's not to say that you can't sit in your recliner and watch TV if that's what you feel uh, like doing. But the reality is, is that Shabbat is for us to take the time to rest from everything going on around us in the presence of God. We're supposed to rest in His presence and focus upon Him and on Him rejuvenating our hearts and our lives for the week to come. And in particular for the service, his service that he's called us to be a part of in the week to come. And the second thing that we can actually do that is required in Scripture for the Shabbat is that we're called to have a holy convocation in the presence of the Lord. We're to gather together, as we would say in the body of Messiah today, with like-minded believers to worship together in the presence of the Lord. Right? There's only two things we definitively know about heaven. First and foremost, that the reality of heaven is that we will be eternally resting in the literal presence of God. And we'll be eternally gathering together in a holy convocation with the angels and the saints in the literal presence of God. So what the weekly Sabbath, the weekly Shabbat, the weekly day of rest really is for us as followers of Messiah, for us who take part in the, the, the reality of the, the biblical feast, the Moedim, what Shabbat really is for us is an opportunity to experience heaven on earth every single week of our life over and over and over again. God has already established this for us. And the key to it all is not just to sit back and recline. It's not just to gather together and sing together. It's not to pray together. The key is to do all of these things in the presence of God because he's preparing us for the reality of the olam haba, of the world to come, of heaven, in which we will gather with the angels and the saints for all eternity proclaiming uh, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts around his throne forever and ever. And so as we look at this Parsha, we see this beginning discussion of the Shabbat, and then the rest of this Parsha, uh, or double Parsha, deals with the finishing, or the building, rather, of the tabernacle, right? And we see that, that God has called Betelel and Holiab, these two uh, craftsmen that have been particularly empowered with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you don't uh, realize beforehand that the Holy Spirit is a very real concept in the Tanakh and the Old Testament, this week and last week's Parsha, pour that out for us right there in the open. The Lord has placed His Spirit upon people, give them gifts and talents for His purposes, and pours His Spirit out upon them for that purpose. And so He places the Spirit upon uh, Betelel and Holiab, as well as a crew of people who come together to work with them as craftsmen empowered by the Spirit of God to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which would be a temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord in the midst of Israel. So remember the Shabbat was given to us so that we could rest and worship as a community in his presence. And here in chapter 40, I'm sorry, chapter, yeah, chapter 40, verse 33, we pick up. He set up the courtyard, speaking of Moses finishing the tabernacle. He set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen at the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. And by the work, he's talking about the, the building and the, 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 the putting together of the tabernacle. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. 
Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there, and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Now whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, went onward throughout all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they, journeyed, they, they did not move out until the day that it was. For the cloud of Adonai was on the tabernacle by day, and a fire was there by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. So even after Israel's great sin of the golden calf, even after their, their grumbling and complaining against the Lord over and over and over and over again, leading up to this point in their journey, the Lord still places His presence in the midst of His people. The Lord still wanted to lead and guide us on the journey that He laid out before us. The Lord still didn't just leave us high and dry. He begins this double parshot with the discussion of the Shabbat, of this opportunity for us to rest in His presence, and He ends it with the reality of how that becomes a reality for the nation of Israel. Because He places His divine presence, the Shekinah, His divine glory in the midst of the nation of Israel. As we said a few weeks ago, the word, a few weeks ago, the word Mishkan, which is the Hebrew word for the tabernacle, comes from the Hebrew word Lishkon, meaning to rest, and was considered to be the resting place of the Shekinah, the divine glory, which also comes from the same root. Uh, which is the presence of the Lord, the Shekhinah. The Mishkan is also called the Mishkan Ha'edut, the Mishkan of testimony, since it testified of God's forgiveness of the Jewish people for their idolatry with the Egel Egel Masecha, or the golden calf. What we realize with the tabernacle is that the tabernacle became a sign. It became a sign of the fact that God wants to reside with us. He wants to reside in our midst in spite of the mistakes and the arrogance and the, the idiosyncrasies and the sins of our life. He wants to redeem and restore us from those issues so that He can make His presence known and real in our hearts and our lives today. We go forward to Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. Uh, and if you're familiar with Second Chronicles 7, most people love to quote 714. But if you're familiar with this section of, of Chronicles, what we're dealing with is Solomon building the temple. And he's actually just finished the building of the temple. Verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Now when Solomon finished uh, praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of Adonai filled the house. Sounds very much like some of the things we read about in the Torah with the tabernacle and the presence of the Lord coming down in fire uh, in the tabernacle. The Kohanim, the priests, could not even enter into the house of Adonai because the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. When all B'nai Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of Adonai above the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, prostrate, prostrating themselves and praising Adonai, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And we skip forward to verse 12. Then Adonai, this is after the, the finishing the tabernacle, this great celebration and the observance of Sukkot for the first time at the temple. Verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 12. Then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself for a house of sacrifice. Verse 13. This is the verse that everybody likes to ignore in order to get to verse 14. We all want to return to that place where God renews and restores himself in our midst, but we don't really like to admit why. He has to renew and restore himself and his presence in our midst. Verse 13 says, If I shut up heaven, that there is no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Sounds kind of familiar with what we're seeing in the Middle East and in Africa right now, right? If I command the locusts to devour the, la- the, the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. 
Sounds very familiar with what we're experiencing with COVID-19, with the coronavirus, right? When my people, over whom my name is called, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It says, when I cause these things to happen because of your sins, then when you cry out to me, when you repent before me, when you turn from your wicked ways. Notice, it's not just repent as in we call out to the Lord, oh, God, I messed up again. I'm so sorry that I did this thing again. I, I you know, sinned, I lied, I cussed, I did whatever it was that damaged your image and likeness in my life. I did it again, and I'm so sorry that I did it. Forgive me. And we immediately do it again and again and again and again. Notice here he says, if my people will repent and turn from their evil ways. This idea of repentance in Judaism is uh, not some haphazard, very lazily request to the Lord to forgive us while we continue to do what we've always done. Instead, in Judaism, the idea of repentance in, in the Scriptures, the Hebrew word is teshuvah, which is to return, to turn back to. And it's this idea that you're walking down the aisle in the wrong direction. You recognize that you're walking in the wrong direction. You stop dead in your tracks. You turn back around and make a full, complete and total 180, and you walk back to the presence of the Lord, turning your back on the ways of the world around you. If we will repent and turn from our wicked ways. We go to John 1. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and apart from Him, nothing was made that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, verse 10, but the world did not know Him. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. But whoever did receive Him, those trusting in His name, to these, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of a bloodline, nor of human desire, nor of man's will, but of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice from John 1, from the Gospel of John, we recognize that God's desire is still very simple. He wants to make his resting place, the place where his dwelling, the place where his presence dwells and rests in our midst. He wants to make it in us. We were created to reside in his presence in the garden. We chose sin and we had to be separated from his presence. Then as a prophetic work of the restoration that he wanted to do in our lives, he placed his presence among his people in the center of the camps of the nation of Israel as a sign of what he wants to do, placing his presence in the center of our hearts and our lives. And then with the Gospels, we realize that through the work of Yeshua Mashiach, through the presence of Yeshua, he now becomes that tabernacle. He now becomes that Mishkan, that resting place for the Shekhinah, for the divine glory of God in our hearts and our lives. We become a tabernacle, a temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. This is absolutely necessary for us to grasp and wrestle with this is absolutely necessary for us to understand because we are not and look the world around us as we said already has come to a complete halt 
But that doesn't mean that the mandate from the Word of God for us to bring the light of Messiah to the world around us comes to a halt. As a matter of fact, it gets altered some. Because now we can't just be comfortable in our building, in our pews, in our chairs, in the sanctuary of our synagogues and churches. We can't hide behind this and, and let all the ministers in our congregation do the real work. Instead, we have to own up to who we are called to be as followers of Messiah. We have to get out in the world around us and we have to actually live in the light and the presence of the Lord. You've heard me say for years that it is necessary for the body of Messiah, for us as individuals in the body of Messiah, to return back to a place where people look at us and they see God in our midst before they ever hear us talk about Him out of our faces. Because for far too long, the body of Messiah has been happy to preach the Word at people. But we rarely ever live the Word fully in our lives before people. It is necessary for us to return back to a place that when people see us, they see the presence of God, and they know that God is in their midst, and they feel a yearning to return back to Him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, detesting what is evil, holding fast to the good, be tenderly devoted to one another, and brotherly love outdo one another and giving honor. Do not be lagging in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Keeping, keep serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, enduring in distress, persisting in prayer, contributing to the needs of the Kedoshim of the Holy Ones, extending hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom and peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath. As it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Adonai. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The world around us is terrified. Absolutely terrified. One, because in the information age that we live in today, the general traditional news media, their goal and their purpose is not to report information in a way as to uh, make sure that we are informed, but their, their goal and their purpose is it's, it's, it's uh, advertising dollars driven. It's ratings driven. And so they understand that they've got to get you as the viewer to keep coming back for more and more and more of the product they are peddling. And the way that they do that is to make sure that they give you something that you have to come to them for. And so they give you the worst case scenario of everything, right? We look at hurricanes. A hurricane starts to come in as it's a tropical storm. They begin telling us, and, you know, tropical storm and thousands of miles away from us, they begin telling us what a 40-foot surge would look like, and I'm exaggerating that a bit, but, you know, the Weather Channel is telling us what these huge surge, uh, surges would look like, right? But it's, it's nowhere near us. Why are we getting afraid of what could be when we have no clue what will be, right? We look at the 
coronavirus around us and the media is giving us all of the worst case scenario type of information. I was watching uh, the news yesterday for the presidential uh, uh, news uh, press conference about this and the thing that I thought was really interesting was on this particular channel, and they're all doing it, but this particular channel that I was watching had a little ticker in the upper right corner of the screen. And this little ticker had worldwide uh, confirmed cases of coronavirus and worldwide confirmed deaths because of the coronavirus. And then it would flip and says U.S. confirmed cases and U.S. confirmed deaths because of it. And you would watch and it was the, the deaths were over the last 24 hours uh, or rather the, the, the increase of deaths were over the last 24 hours and whatever. And it was really weird because it was showing this and, and you're kind of watching this it almost looks like uh, the scoreboard on a you know, sporting event, right? I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan. It almost looks like the scoreboard on the, the, the game while I'm watching on TV. And you're just, okay, I'm rooting for it to go down or uh, you know, whatever. And we're watching this and we're glued to these numbers. And watching these numbers climb really begins to strike fear in our hearts if we're honest about it. The what ifs. It's not even necessarily a fear of the, the, the disease itself, but it's a fear of what if. But we're not called to live in fear. Instead, we're called to live recognizing that we serve a God who is greater than anything that is in the world. That this God is residing within us and that he who is in us is greater than anything in the world. This doesn't mean that we're to be reckless. We are to be cautious. The Lord says that we're to be fearless, but also that he has given us wisdom on how to handle situations. And so it's necessary that we walk with wisdom, not being fearful. And the world around us is completely encapsulated with fear with trepidation, paralyzed by the what-ifs. And it's necessary that we as the body of Messiah begin to stand firm. We may not be able to meet together in our congregations as we have been used to up until last week. But what we can do is join together in unity and worship in services live-streamed. We can join together in unity and prayer and in seeking the face of the Lord. We can join in unity and recognizing that the power and the presence of the God of all creation now resides within us. And he has called us to go out into the world and to share the light of Messiah. He has called us to make sure that people see the power of God on us before they hear about God from our faces. And just as I said at the beginning, I'm pondering and, and, and I think I've, I've kind of come to the settled reality that I think this is the case. The Lord is giving us this opportunity to step away from the busyness of life as we know it or life as we have known it. We have no clue what life's going to look like on the other side of this thing, whenever the other side appears. But I believe that God is calling the body of Messiah to step away from the busyness of life that we've always known and to step into the peace and the calm and the tranquility of his presence in our lives so that the world around us will see his might and his power, so that the world around us will begin to see him on us before they hear us talk about him, so that as we await the latter, latter day rains, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the Ruach HaKodesh, a renewal of this Acts 2 mentality of revival, that we as the body of Messiah will walk firmly, and the reality that his presence is very much a real part of our lives today. That we will take this opportunity to rest, to rest in him and his presence and his word and worship. Don't take this opportunity to just sit there and watch TV all day and every day, but take this opportunity to read, to be in the word. If you're struggling hearing his voice, open up the book through which he's already spoken to us. Begin to train and prepare your heart and your mind to hear from him. 
Let us take this time to recalibrate our hearts, our lives, our walk, our faith. Let us recalibrate the body of Messiah, recognizing, as I said before, that it's not about the building, it's about the people. Let us recalibrate our uh, reality of what it means to walk in the presence of God so that as the latter-day outpouring comes upon us, that we as the body of Messiah will be ready for the great harvest that lays before us. As our worship team comes back up, I just want to remind you that there is a great harvest and a great work that lays before us. Our call, our purpose has not changed in the least. The Lord has so much more in store for the body of Messiah. And it is necessary that we as the body of Messiah begin to walk firmly and fervently in the power and the presence of the Lord because the world around us has in fact changed. It's changed more than any of us could have ever imagined. But what is steady and constant is the presence of the living God of all creation. And the world around us needs that light, that reality, and that power more now than ever before. Let us be the hands and feet of Messiah. Let us be the servants of the Lord, meeting the needs of the, the least of these so that we can see them become the greatest. Abba, we cry out to you and we ask you, Lord, to breathe new life into our midst, to speak boldly into our hearts and our lives during this downtime that we're all experiencing. Father, use this time to refocus our hearts and our minds, not to focus on fear and what ifs, but to focus on what you have in store for us, on the gifts, the talents, and the calling you've placed on our lives, on encountering your power and your presence, your Ruach HaKodesh, in a new, mighty, and powerful way, more so than we could have ever imagined and experienced before. Father, realign our hearts and our lives with your will and your way. And Father, reestablish us and the recreation that you have made us in your image and likeness as we live the example of Messiah Yeshua to the world around us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.